0: Good evening. Um, Tonight I'd like to talk with you about completion and incompletion. And this will be as a way of uh, expanding the dialogue on the question that, that Robert raised the first night about the, you know, why is this practice so difficult. And um, that uh, uh, Trudy and Wes also contributed their um, wonderful talks to uh, kind of expanding and deepening this, this question and understanding this. So maybe um, I'll approach this by opening up some perspectives from my experience. And some of these uh, local points make, you know, uh, take in a broad scope of perspectives. So I invite you to be open to paradox and to a certain degree of ambiguity. I often think that that the practice of the Dharma is having, having tolerance for some ambiguity and paradox. Once we move more towards uh, the understanding and the direct perception in our experience of the unconditioned mind, um, words are challenging. <coughs> um, but first I'd like to say something about uh, listening to Dharma talks in general. So um, it's good. You don't always have to make sense out of everything that somebody says. <laughs> Thankfully. So you can just relax and kind of surf. Go for the, go for the ride. And if there's some part of the, uh, of the presentation by, by any teacher that you don't understand, you can um, just let it go. And um, uh, it's not about fitting, my understanding is it's not about fitting uh, what's being said or the Dharma into our understanding. It's about under- expanding our understanding to meet the, the depth and the breadth of the Dharma. So um, that part of this invitation is really to, uh, to trust yourself. Of course, I've been saying that this week in our Qigong. Part of the practice and the way that Qigong is Dharma is, tr- is learning how to trust ourselves. Part of the piece uh, in learning to trust ourselves is to realize that we're not just the, the conceptual um, being that we think we are, not just the, the mind uh, or the feelings, but we're also energy. So connect with the energy that's present in the here and now, and just continue to let go, and let um, insight and understanding arise if they do. Um, So in the space of the Dharma talk, you participate very fully by relaxing to the degree that you can in the uh, unconditioned mind, in the the open awareness of... uh, of your deep heart mind. Well, that being said, um, in in Dharma talks, uh, of course, I I come a lot from the Zen tradition, and many of my meditation teachers are from the Vajrayana tradition. So I'm what you might call a cross trainer. <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, so I, I look, and um, I'm looking for the truth in the dharma. You know, the dharma for me is like finding the jewel of, of, of truth. And um, I've learned that that's not a static thing. It's taken me a while to get there, but there's a, there was a... Um, um, and getting, the, you know, I say that, and that's kind of funny because it's not really about getting anywhere. The energy that comes out of your primordial pure nature is more valid than anything else. This is a saying by modern Nyingma uh, Rinpoché uh, Shayalpa Rinpoché. So I'm going to read that again because it kind of ties in for me. Uh, the practice, our practice, our energy arts practice, and our Dharma practice are have a wonderful confluence. Have a wonderful way of um, merging. The energy that comes out of your primordial, primordially pure nature is more valid than anything else. So we look to the energy, we look for the um, uh, the intelligence. This new knowledge that lies, uh, that is present within each of us um, is uh, waiting to be uh, for us to learn how to connect with it and to express it. And uh, we can express it creatively through writing, through music, through um, through um, harmony in our relationships. There's any of a number of wonderful ways to learn how to express this primordially pure, unconditioned uh, energy that we are. So. Um, one of the aspects of the dharma talk is, or a, any dharma talk, is just to inform and to bring perspective and understanding. Um, another aspect is uh, to be inspired by and to um, deepen our appreciation for um, the for our practice. I'm certainly inspired by. Robert and Trudy and Wes and John and and really all of all of us together um, in this undertaking of this retreat. A third way that is that is um, spoken about sometimes is what's called transmission. And a direct transmission is the transmission or the connection of the energy and the vitality of the Dharma. So um, this takes place between us, and it's not a a matter of a hierarchy, it's a matter of connection. As we connect with the truth, with what uh, resonates within us as authentic um, and real, then we create for one another this resonance of transmission, and that also has a rippling out effect, and the what I've discovered um, is that the heart of this is really love there's a there's a deep love there's a deep caring that is present for for us in uh, as we connect in the principles of our practice um, as you may know i've Practiced Aikido for many years. I'm an Aikido teacher. I began practicing um, in uh, 1971. I was two years old then. but... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, no. Um, so I practiced uh, a number of years in Aikido, and the founder of Aikido, Morihei um used to say that the practice of Aikido is the practice of principle. So when you look at, uh, at, a, at a martial arts or you look at our Qigong practice, um, it is not just the forms that we're, that we're looking at and that we're working with. We're working with the principle. We're working with the principle in our Qigong of opening. In Aikido we work with centeredness, we work with groundedness, we work with connection. Harmony, flow; these are the principles, and of course, I bring these into our practice in, uh, in qigong and energy arts as well. So um, we look we look for the quality of poise rather than just uh, uh, modeling the f- modeling forms. Yeah. So that's kind of a, an invitation for us to continue to look. Uh, below the surface on um, what gets presented. So what gets presented in, a, in, a, in any talk you can also, at the same time you're listening to the words and, 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 may, and maybe making sense of the words, you can also listen to the energy. And when we practice our energy arts, we learn um, uh, to drop down along that center line and rest in Hara. Rest in our, in our center. So you can actually listen from that place. And you can trust that place to kind of begin to speak to you and you can under, begin to understand. And many of you already do uh, have this, the sense of, um, of connection. And the, uh, the language is feeling. Feeling is the language. It speaks directly to us. So we can uh, cultivate this, this uh, other knowledge, this deeper sense of uh, intuitive knowing with our practice. That being said, uh, one of my favorite teachings of the Buddha is, is from the sutra called the Kalama Sutra. And the Kalama Sutra um, is, about, is about questioning about how we approach the teachings. So I'm, I want to read you a very uh, generous modern uh, uh, translation of the Kalama Sutra, and then we'll um, talk about it a little bit. So this this sutra is sometimes called um, the Buddha's kernel of free inquiry. So, um, as was the custom of the Buddha, apparently at his time, um, he would travel around in go various places, and when he, you know, he had some renown, and he would come to villages, and, and people would ask him to give teachings in their uh, villages, or if the, the local uh, prince or princess would you know, invite him to, to give teachings. And the Kalama um, people uh, apparently asked the Buddha to talk to them. And, said, uh, and the, his, the question was, how can we discern truth? So this question that the Kalama people are now asking the Buddha seems to be very relevant to Robert's question the other night about the, about the difficulty. It seems like if we, only, if we could discern the truth, then you know, things would be good, <laughs> he said laughingly. <laughs> um, so here's here. Are the, this is a translation of the Buddha's words. It is essential to doubt, to question all things deeply, to inquire, to examine, to inspect, and to experiment. Do not rely on what another says, be they friend, a monk, a respected teacher, or even a sage. Do not rely on what tradition implies. Um, mainstream culture dictates, as I said, a very free translation, <laughs> or what scriptures may state. Do not rely on comforting beliefs born of favorable ideas or non-reflective reasoning. Only when you know directly through free and active inquiry based on fearless meditation practice supported by critical reasoning and tested in living dynamic embodiment and experience. And you see, these things are destructive. When engaged in, they lead to harm. And seeing this, you abandon them. Conversely, when you observe these actions are wise and liberating when enacted. they lead to freedom. Then this is right action and so abide in these actions. Come to know directly through the crucible of your own life experience the truth that certain thoughts and actions lead to suffering, your own and that of others. Likewise, when you know directly from your own life experience that wise thought and action lead to benefit and well-being, then your vision will become clear. As awakening beings, this harmony of thought, word, and deed creates boundless, panoramic, dynamic peace that may be manifest in every event, in every moment, and in every place. As awakening beings, we are complete in the moment with no need in a hereafter. And so, this awakening precipitates the awakening of sentient beings everywhere. I like the idea that that we are awakening beings. I think a lot of pressure gets put on us to think that we have to awaken or have some kind of def- one or two definitive experiences of awakening uh, to you know to become enlightened. But when we take the uh, approach of um, that we're on a path of awakening. This is um, this gives us some space. This gives us an opportunity to um, to expand, to do as the Buddha said in the first uh, sentence, to to inquire, to experiment, to find out for ourselves what's real, what's useful, and what's um, beneficial. So in this translation. Um, Part of the inquiry says um, "When you know directly, so direct direct knowing part of our practice in meditative practice and in the, uh, in the energy arts practices that weave together with the Dharma, the action is moving toward um, Activ- activating and enlivening this intuitive awareness. Inside the trust that we begin to generate when we do our practice, um, we begin to realize that the, that the realm of thought is, is important, but it's not the only way of knowing. It is just one way of knowing. And there are other ways to directly know. That's a little tough for us. And and why is that? So back to Robert's question. We want to know, but in order to know, there has to be something to know and somebody to know it. So this already inside of our awareness starts to is is the creation of a duality. So is it possible to know unconditioned awareness? Pure deep heart mind. That which we are. Buddha nature. The Tao. Like that. Um, Of course, the paradox is that yes, but when we use the reflective mind to examine it, we can never quite apprehend it. That's just the function of conscious awareness, which has a, a subject and an object. But unconditioned mind and the place that we meditate in, we drop into, is sometimes called um, the transcendent wisdom of pure meditative awareness. The transcendent wisdom of pure meditative awareness. This wisdom is also said to be contentless, without content. So how, you, how the heck are you going to get your mind around that? <laughs> so this is, the, this is a very powerful and dynamic koan, uh, a puzzle for the mind. So in my tradition of Renzai Zen, you know we have all these mysterious little koans that we, our teacher tells us and then we tell ourselves. And uh, but what those practices are, are a way to help us move past the cognitive, deeper in the cognitive, to, to this direct knowing. Now, this transcendent wisdom of pure meditative awareness, is it here right now? Is the unconditioned mind here right now? Are you in unconditioned mind right now? how do you know? <laughs> so um, the more we use the, the cognitive reflective part of our awareness to try to figure it out, the more we get kind of wrapped up into the, the strings of, of, uh, and the tar of that particular koan. So uh, as we learn to rest, you know, meditation is not just the sitting on the cushion. It is, you know, has, the, has these other qualities of, of mindful presence. Um, so if the transcendent wisdom of pure meditative awareness is the ultimate completion, is the ultimate um, experience, but when we arrive in it, there's no us that's actually arriving in it. So I, I want to play a little bit with this because we find ourselves in, this, uh, in these linguistic puzzles quite a bit. And the, and the linguistic puzzles that we, that we tell ourselves, the neuro-linguistic aspect of our being, um, uh, causes us great incompletion we're always striving to figure things out. So there is a domain, there is a time, as the Buddha is saying in here, to use re- uh, critical reasoning. To u- there's a time for thought. In our meditative practice, we are releasing thought. We're releasing thought to allow um, uh, and letting go, like we did the dissolving today. When you do the dissolving, as I said, it doesn't necessarily get rid of things, but it releases the hinges of identification with thought. The hinges of identification with emotion or the hinges of identification with memory and so on. The Kalama Sutra. Come to know directly through the crucible of your own experience. So, about the same time that Buddha was kicking around, uh, um, Master Lao Tzu in China was also present. And it's hard to know, you know. I mean, we don't know exactly the times, and you know, a lot of a lot of this is um, is uh, is lore that's been handed down to us. So, the exact teachings and the exact language and the translation. Um, uh, it's important, I think, to listen to the, uh, to the Buddha's words in the Kalama Sutra, uh, to, take it, uh, to take some of the teachings that, that come to us as kind of literal with a bit of a grain of salt and then put it into our practice, put it into our, our direct understanding to see if it tests. See if it tests in our own experience. So the translations that come to us of the of the various teachings, you know, in in my uh, experience, and as I've read two or three or four different translations of the same text, and they're like miles away from each other, right? So sometimes these are like, uh, at least I experience them like almost like alchemical codes. Or something you know and um, uh, it's um, useful to take them into contemplation so uh, in our meditative practice you know really has maybe um, one of the ways that I might put this is may- maybe has three different stages of course there's lots of different ways to to meditate but the the primary one or the the beginning stage is uh, in the Indian is called uh, uh, dharana. darana and dharana is the uh, uh, is the concentration part, so we do certain kinds of concentration uh, practices here and we you know we focus on the breath and we use the field of the sensations of the body to uh, to allow our attention to settle. Uh, much of the practice in um, in meditation is just settling, is just allowing the body and the uh, uh, the natural concentration to take place. Um, a few years ago, um, there was a Tibetan teacher that was teaching here. His name is uh, Sokni Rinpoche. Maybe some of you know who he is. He's a young guy, and um, uh, he's, th- he's got two or three other brothers that are all kind of these lamas and, and wonderful teachers. And uh, their dad was kind of a big shot in the Zogchen tradition. But I say that respectfully. Ergin Tolku, he was a great teacher. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Umana Padma. laughs> He was a big shot. He was a big shot. And he wrote a couple of books, which I think we have in the bookstore, As It Is and so on, great um, teachings. The, um, the, I'm tying this into uh, the concentration because um, I taught that retreat with Sokni Rinpoche and doing uh, Qigong for, like I think we had like a, 120 people here. It was like packed retreat. And um, so I would do 60 people uh, at a time in the upper walking hall. And over the course of this 10 day retreat, which we did, um, I had some dialogue with Sokni Rinpoche And um, we talked about um, concentration. We talked about uh, mindfulness and we talked about meditation. And it was part of his observation, as it is mine, that our our inability generally, I'm just speaking generally now, in in the West to concentrate is not uh, a matter of our inability, mentally, or, or the fact that we're dull uh, people. <laughs> but, but according to the, uh, according to the, um, the teachings uh, of the Vajrayana tradition that, that he pointed out, he says, this is a question of what they call the, the lung, or the, 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 the five winds of the body. He said, once those are smoothed out, then concentration happens naturally. He said, so what you're doing in the Qigong helps a natural concentration. So the more our nervous system resets, the more we're able to settle in uh, in the quiescence of our body-mind-spirit continuum in deep relaxation poise, then more natural is the concentration. So the practices that we do in the Qigong, in the energy arts, are Dharma practices that are helping us naturally focus our life force, naturally settle the life force, naturally learn a sense of trust of the life force. And inside the trust of the life force, this is dynamic intelligence. So it actually, you know, as Robert was saying the other night, we, the, the, the sinus node of the heart. How incredibly awesome is this? You know, the, the mystery of our, of our bodies, of our embodiment. So, um, natural concentration begins to take place just by the fact that you sit down, not so much of what's going, going on in the nervous system and in the thought and the emotional process the more you sit um, and the more you do you know whatever meditative practices like our Qigong or standing or even mindful walking the more the, the body's energy comes into harmony comes into this this sense of uh, harmony with the Dao yes so um, that's the that's concentration in the the next aspect of our meditative practice is actually, is, uh, that's dharana. Um, the whole field of the practice sometimes called uh, bhavana. Bhavana is one of the words that comes to us from um, India. And it gets translated as meditation. But interestingly, the word bhavana means cultivation. So what we are doing inside of our practices is um, we're cultivating our awareness, we're cultivating mindfulness, and it takes us Mm -hmm. doing exactly what we're doing now in this retreat to cultivate a kind of awareness, a kind of tolerance for stillness, which our culture doesn't support that well. So we, we have to build our Sangha. We have to build our, um, our uh, community, uh, like this retreat is a community, is a community of practice, which helps to nurture this reset of the nervous system. It helps to nurture um, the opening of the heart. It helps to nurture the, uh, the expression of love, of, of spirit, being willing to be present with the poignancy of life. The next aspect after concentration, after uh, dharana, is um, dhyana. Dhyana. And it means effortless, compassionate awareness. Effortless, compassionate awareness. So when we rest in meditation, we're resting in effortless, compassionate awareness. In the Theravadin tradition, as I understand it, um, this kind of rest is sometimes called choiceless awareness. So yes, there are many aspects to our practice here. And uh, mindfulness is a very important essential aspect of that. Um, present noting, very important essential. Um, but the, um, the aliveness and the awakening and the resting in this unconditioned, I, I love this term, effortless, compassionate awareness. So in when we when we practice and we begin to settle into this, um, level of practice, um, we begin to realize that the ego is in fact just a temporary point of focus and not a permanent, ongoing, separate being. So this is consistent with our knowledge of the three characteristics and uh, the, that characteristic of non-self. That. Um, that all of our teachers have talked about so far. So the third aspect of our meditation that helps to bring uh, completion from incompletion in terms of this system of practice is called samadhi in the Indian. Samadhi. Deep Samadhi. So what is the meaning of Samadhi? And how is that different from um, effortless, compassionate awareness? The, uh, w- one of the um, interpretations that I've really enjoyed that I've really liked and kind of resonated with myself is that samadhi for us is unreasonable enjoyment. <laughs> unreasonable enjoyment. You like that? Mm-hmm. Yes. I do. <laughs> so when we're uh, when we're when we're when we're sitting deep and um, uh, s- and settled. The the peace that arises out of that is completely unreasonable. It's not connected. You can't really connect it causally to any particular thing. <laughs> it's just part of the mystery of this whole practice that I just uh, deeply love. Yes, it is. You know, it requires us to uh, over time uh, to develop this stabilization of our consciousness. The stabilization of our consciousness and of our awareness happens through the process of beginning with the concentration practices, moving into compassionate awareness and resting in the unconditioned, resting in this unreasonable enjoyment of the uh, the healing, the ultimate healing that the Dharma is. Oh, yes, I was talking about Lao Tzu back ages ago. So, um, uh, Lao Tzu um, offered this verse, and it goes like this. It has to do with thoughts and with completion. Um, We hear in our meditation practice, you know, Let go of thoughts, and then we wonder—you know. Then we hear the Kalama Sutra, and and is the Buddha saying we should use critical thinking? And you know, should we or should we let go of thoughts? I think the important thing is that there is a time to think, and there is a time to let go of thoughts. And so, our meditation time is our is our time to let go of thought, to let go of that cognitive whirl. That, that creates the ongoing cycle of habitual patterns. So um, that's, that's the gift. My goodness, that's the gift of meditation practice that can potentially be the gift of our embodiment practices, of our qigong, of our energy arts. So Master Lao says, Empty your mind of all thoughts let your heart be at peace watch the turmoil of beings but contemplate their return each separate being in the universe returns to the common source Uh, returning to the source is serenity if you don't realize the source You stumble in confusion and sorrow. When you realize where you come from, you naturally become tolerant, disinterested, amused, kind-hearted as a grandmother, (laughs) dignified as a king. Immersed in the wonder of the Tao, you can deal with whatever life brings you. And when death comes, you are ready. I think Lao Tzu and the Buddha would have been chums. (laughs) (laughs) They would have liked each other. (laughs) One of the things that really gives focus and power to our practice is our commitment to life. Our commitment to life. Um, I remember that the day that my daughter was born. Um, It was such a beautiful, powerful day um, in the moment of her arising and present into the world um, that I wanted to do absolutely everything I could to make this a better world, to make this a world that she could grow up in that would be wonderful. In our tradition of uh, in, the, in the Buddhist tradition we have what's sometimes called the Bodhisattva vow and this is a, um, this is kind of an internal commitment to life so we spend a lot of time and rightly so in our practice focusing on uh, the the, the hindrances the incompletions in our own life and um, one of the, the beautiful things um, that has taken place here at uh, spirit rock is the is the confluence of um, m- really excellent and mindful psychology uh, merged with the principles of the Dharma and, and, and certainly both uh, Roberto and Trudy are, are, are great ex- exemplars of this fusion of, um, of psychology and dharma. And Robert, too, um, uh, has brought many very important distinctions in somatic psychology. In fact, most of the very important uh, uh, f- uh, elements of fusion have have come through our brother Roberto and deep love and respect for for that my my dear friend thank you so having a focus um, uh, what I wanted to say about that is sometimes our practice can be a little self centered a little self focused and if and nothing wrong with that there's a time for that but it's also important to remember that um the, that there's great power in expanding you, your vision. When we recognize our interconnectedness with with all of life, then it's uh, it's natural to express um, a commitment to the to well-being of all of all of life. So I want to read as a part of. Um, deepening that particular aspect of our practice, what's called the awakened one's vow. When I, a bodhisattva of no rank, look through awakened eyes at the real form of this universe, all that appears is the never-ending, never-failing manifestation of the mysterious unfolding of truth. In any event, in any moment, in any place, none can be other than the marvelous revelation of the interplay of this glorious light. This realization has been the transformational moment causing all of our masters and mentors, matriarchs, patriarchs, to experience true freedom and joy beyond comprehension and to then extend tender care with a worshiping heart to all beings, birth, uh, beasts and birds, trees and flowers, even rocks and waters. This realization teaches us, reveals to us that our daily food and drink, clothes and protections of life are the very warm flesh and blood the merciful incarnation of this ever-present, living, universal mystery. Who then can be ungrateful or disrespectful to any expression of being, including human beings? Even though some may appear to be fools or so-called enemies, we will remember to be warm and compassionate toward them. If, by chance, they should turn against us, abuse and persecute us, we will remember our fearless heart, our path of wisdom, compassion, nonviolence, and skillful means. Before we react, we will consider deeply our personal and collective karma that brought these conditions and circumstances upon ourselves. Then, with each moment's arising flash of our normal feelings and thoughts, we will simultaneously recognize within us a field of pure awareness, wisdom, compassion, and skillful means. All of our minds may now reveal a true awakened one, awakening one, compassionately aware and ready, fearless and wise, acting skillfully and appropriately, then all of our combined actions will create a new world, a world of love and caring, compassion and wisdom. May we awaken and recognize this presence awareness through the whole universe, so that we and all beings together may experience maturity in awakened heart, mind, wisdom. So that is the awakened one's vows. Vow. Um, So maybe those are some perspectives, some vistas, some gateways of looking at this question of completion and incompletion. And I'd like to um, end this evening with you by doing a contemplation, contemplation on gratitude. So um, grat- gratitude itself is a wonderful way to experience completion. Experiencing completion in the here and now, the only place where we can actually experience completion. And this is true especially if we're grateful for absolutely everything that's happened in our lives. So um, to begin with, I want to just maybe invite you to close your eyes and take a moment just rest here. And open to the experience of this clear, deep heart-mind, the unconditioned awareness. Begin to allow this to be present, to resurface. Take the opportunity for these few moments to re-enter into deep stillness. As this stillness permeates your being, your field of aliveness. Think of all that you've gone through in your life. And you are here, right now, intact, essentially complete. Yes, you've had your share of challenges and problems, unpleasant memories, some emotional scars, but we all do. Life knocks us around. That's normal. But we are right here, right now, alive and well, with time to sit here in this sacred space, and enjoy and appreciate this contemplation. So no matter what is happening, no matter what has happened, no matter how difficult or easy your journey, you are here right now. Take this feeling of the present moment and include all the moments that have brought you here. And realize that if absolutely anything had been different, you wouldn't be here as you are, in the way that you are right now. So, if you hadn't been born at the exact time of your birth, something would be different. If you had not been brought up by the very mother and father or guardian, you would be somebody else. Each and every decision you have made has had an impact that led you to this moment. Oh, You might be thinking, um, if only I had had an easier childhood, more support had been given, more love, had been more appreciated, had been seen for who I really was, things might have been better. But if any one moment in your entire life had been different, anything at all, you wouldn't be here right now in the way that you are. In this moment, allow every person that you have ever encountered to come into your awareness. All the creatures, all of your pets, every being, every gift you have bestowed. Allow every violation that has happened to you, every seeming accident, every medical difficulty that you have encountered, even every financial situation that set you back or maybe even endowed you with financial freedom, every unlawful act you may have participated in, Every heart you broke, any wrongdoing cast upon you, call upon every second of your life. Allow yourself to feel the grace of every precious nanosecond of your entire life. Experience how each act was perfect in its own way to bring you to this very moment in time, to this unique moment in the history of your evolution. Experience how without that one harsh word you that may, may have made you stronger or how that one perfect word of encouragement may have taken you down a completely different road in life. Consider how even your greatest failure has made you capable of being who you are. And because of all that you have experienced, you are where you are in this very moment consider how very privileged we have been to have lived this existence because it has brought brought us to this very moment in time. This very moment right now, rest in the full and complete experience. This moment can't get any better and it can't get any worse. In this moment you are totally complete. There is nothing to wait for and nothing to do. So rest in this moment with no regrets. Let go into the awe of your existence. Blessings. Thank you so much. So it's useful as usual we have a little